Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of the major players in podcasts you can find our information. also want to give you a heads up about the 41st annual Lone Star Stampede. There's a 10K, 5K, and children's race along with the Marathon. Now, it's a timed event. It is traditionally one of the last qualifiers for the Houston Marathon. So you can get there if you're trying to get your times right to get in the Houston Marathon. Now, if you aren't up for running or walking, but you would still like to register, you can join as my favorite thing in the world, a sleep-in participant. You can register now. That would be a weird thing, except that all the proceeds are going to support scholarships for Longhorn Future. So if you want to help somebody fall in love with the University of Texas like you did and hopefully ease some of the financial burden that comes with higher education, we'd love for you to be a participant in that. If you'd like some more information and to register, visit TexasXs.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who also signed a one-day contract to retire as a Kansas City Chief, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm great. You know, I actually wonder about that. How much do they actually get paid for the one day? Like, I imagine it's still got to be, you know, just to keep it on the ups and ups, like... A eh, twenty thousand one day contract, you know. I, I don't know, but uh, for sure, I've I've had a a, a more up and down week than uh, Brienne of Tarth having to find and lose uh, the love of her life all in the span of about three show minutes. That's a cut for you Game of Thrones fans. But no, man, it's uh, it's Monday. We're here, coming off the weekend, long start to the week with a work day today. But hey, man, when I'm with you, life is good. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about me. <laughs> I got, I mean, how do I, how do you respond to that? Like that, that, that's just legitimately heartwarming, Kyle. I don't know you, what to say. You are my Serbian. <laughs> sure. Uh, so uh, now that we've got that weirdness, Texas baseball did a thing that we're going to have to talk about, unfortunately, but fortunately that season may be over sooner rather than later. Uh, we've got uh, another positional preview. We took a week off from our position previews because of last week's NFL draft talk. Uh, We've got Downing the 40. We're going to keep you up to date with all of the Texas Longhorn athletics that maybe don't get enough shine. And then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. Kyle, I'm running out of ways to say this team is frustrating, disappointing, Uh, not living up to any expectations that were set by their big run in the tough part of their schedule. Um, I don't know what else to say. Like I, I'm running out of descriptors and ways to say Texas lost games that it shouldn't have. I mean, it's tough. Like if, if, if the month of March hadn't happened, if they hadn't, you know, swept LSU, I still kind of blame the guy who uh, waved the, the broom at the LSU team bus after we swept them. That may have been literally our kiss of death. I, I think we're like have a 20% win percentage since then. Um, but if they hadn't beat, really good teams this year, um, teams who, you know, aren't, have proved not to be a fluke, um, then I would just say, hey, this was the expected regression and maybe then some from the team that overachieved last year and had five guys drafted. We didn't think this was their year until we watched them do some things. I think we said on the podcast top 10 was probably too high of a ranking for where we had them. Top 15, 20, sure. 
that's where we just felt comfortable. I mean, not even going out on a limb saying. And now to get from that in the same season without, I mean, at that point since then, any huge major injuries, because I think at that point Petrinsky may have already been uh, injured, is is wild. Like, uh, it, it's, it's wild to watch a team utterly just capitulate. I mean, it's just, the, I mean, it's a joke that they they could very well and very likely and most likely will miss the Big 12 tournament. Now, we're not talking about the NCAA tournament for the best, you know, all-time historical baseball program. We're talking about the tournament in which, because there's an odd number, they just take eight out of the nine Big 12 teams. That's the tournament that Texas isn't going to make. I don't know if the casual fan who hasn't been paying attention understands quite how dire that is. I'm not saying it calls for drastic, you know, shakeups and actions, but something is rotten in the state of Dishfalk. Yeah, and and I don't know what it is because it's it's different every game. I think that's the frustrating part. Kind of like how again there are a lot of parallels to be drawn to the basketball team, where you can't figure out even late into the season what the problem is because some games it's the bats don't show up, in some games the 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 relief pitching breaks down, in some games. A starter who usually is pretty consistent gets shelled early uncharacteristically and struggles to find his rhythm. Like, there's just not one consistent thing that you can point to to say, this is why they're struggling, go fix that. Now, I will say, if you can get your bats to wake up at some point, then a couple of these games go the other way. I'll also say, if you can get your relief pitching going, then two of the games go another way this weekend, and and two last weekend as well. So, like, there are two areas to start, but, like, we Texas thought they had a closer. Texas thought they had a relief, some relief pitcher, some middle relief. Yep. And and for those guys to underperform as they have this year, I don't know what the problem is. Like it obviously is a is a coaching issue. It always is a leadership issue. Anytime a team underperforms, it's a leadership issue. So there you go. But like what what do you do to correct it at this point? I mean, not probably nothing for this season, but like for next season, what do you do to correct it? Well, I mean, I, I think there there is no NIT. There is no other tournament. You either get in, in you know, this one or you're not. So, uh, it truly is an off season thing. I think it's, um, you know, we can we can fully eulogize when the season is done. We will not, <laughs> you know, be, because I I think we kind of were joking off air and we said, you know, the the quicker that happens, the better. Um, it's like you you hit a deer with your car. The humane thing to do is to cut its throat at this point. There's just, I mean. Something very wrong with this team. I mean, for the hard news, they if if you're listening to this podcast and you missed the past week, they lost the midweek game to uh, Tamuk. Uh, I don't know what the first part of that acronym is, but Corpus Christi is the last part. They're not a particularly large school. Um, they lost uh, each of their three games to the Kansas Jayhawk baseball team Friday four to two, Sunday one to zero, Sunday. 10 to 6. Um, but I mean, yeah, to, to put it in, in a little bit zoomed out level, they've lost on five walk-offs in seven games. Um, and, and the two in that interim, they won one, which, you know, broke up what would be, you know, an 11 game losing streak. They're one in 10 in their last 11. Uh, and then they also lost one where they weren't close enough um, to, uh, 
to be able to give it away in the ninth, which is the same thing they did to the Sea Aggies. So, I mean, it's 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 dire. It's very dire. I mean, two runs in the ninth against OSU, they lose 11-10. to 10. Four runs in the ninth uh, against Texas State, they lost 7-6. to six. One run in the ninth, West Virginia, your classic, they lost 3-2. to Two, two runs the, the following night. In the ninth, they lose 9-8. to eight. And then against KU in the first game, three runs in the ninth, and they lose 4-2. to two. That's heartbreaking, especially because... If there's two players, probably the two most consistent players on this roster this year are their day one and day two starters. I mean, both of them gave up one earned run, and, and you know, Blair Henley had a complete game, uh, one earned run, six hits, seven K. That should be a masterpiece people are talking about. Two hits for Texas. He got a loss. Uh, in the Friday game, uh, Bryce Elder, who's held it down all, all year, having to face the opposing's best pitcher, took a 2-1 lead into the ninth before they gave that up, and he got a no decision. So, I mean, it's tough. He, he went seven innings, three hits, one earned. You know, it, it's tough. Those are our two best players. And like you said, the, the if, you're, if you're a starting pitcher, there's three things that, that can affect you. Obviously, hitting and getting the run so that your good pitching performance wins. Um, you know, the, uh, the the catcher can make or break. You know, if you're having even the slightest bit of off night, a good catcher can take one less thing that you have to think about. And we'll talk about, I think that's a huge part of this uh, that's tough. But um, in, in the other, of course, is the fielding behind you. Like, those are the things you can't control. And, you know, all three of those have been where they struggle. And if you had a fourth, I guess, you know, the, the reliever who you hand the ball off to every place that is out of their control where the ball isn't in their hands, where they do things very well is where we struggle. And so that's gotta be frustrating for both of those guys. Um, none of this rests on their shoulders. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule and it's possible. Texas doesn't win another game this season. Like it's all in all possible. They lost the last one against incarnate word and they lost the last one against Texas yep. state. Like yep. it's all in all possible that Texas closes this season on a that would be like a seven game eight game losing streak, like yeah that I mean they're one in ten in the last eleven so what was that another another five to that that's yeah. one in fifteen and they're like ooh that's a real that's sad Joe yeah it, it's it's absolutely abysmal and the fact that all five of those are at home could tank what looked like a solid home record. Cause right now they're 19 and nine at home. They lose all five of those. They're 19 and, and 14 at home, which is probably more on par with the quality of the baseball we've seen over the last six weeks or so. Uh, it's, it's, we sound really doom and gloom, which is probably appropriate. Let's just be honest here. Uh, based on the close of the season. Now I, I, I'm not on the fire Pierce bandwagon, not even close to it. I think this is a team that, there's there's talent coming and and I think they will continue to be a work in progress at least for another season. Like it's just it is what it is. Like they're 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 a team that is still trying to figure out how to be what Coach Pierce needs them to be. And I think that is is something that we would rather be accelerated. I think we were a little spoiled by a team that way over overperformed a year ago. And yep. this is closer to what a rebuilding job or a building job looks like. Yeah, I mean, I still think he's the Pierce that was promised. I think the uh, the prophecy got a little ahead of itself. Like you said, this this year was not supposed to be the year. This was a, a bit of a rebuild from a team that overachieved. And again, you take out 
one of the best college baseball players, you know, I, I've seen in, in, in my lifetime and try to replace Cody Clemens. That's, that's tough. Um, you needed a lot of things to go right. And then I, I think obviously, you know, we've talked about it at, ad nauseum on this program, but the, the two biggest things are exactly what we worried about. You took out DJ Petrinsky and David Hamilton, again, returning leadership on a young team, your two, uh, kind of, most probably important defensive positions catcher and shortstop and Hamilton last year was, you know, the defensive player of the year. Um, but I mean, when, when Petrinsky before he got hurt this year, Texas was eight and three and Michael McCann, who, you know, give him credit has really, you know, gutted it out for a guy who's a redshirt senior and played 49 games over four years. And this year has played 46, you know, so this is, he's been thrust in there. But the, the duty's stretching him. You know, he's hitting 216 with 15 pass balls and four errors. And that's while Texas' opposing, you know, opposition had five pass balls. So three times as much. 58 stolen bases given up to 44 allowed. They're running on him. Um, only 11 caught stealing to the horns, getting caught 25 times. You know, that's, it's tough. It's tough. Like I said, a, a catcher, especially with all of the young pitchers we have, is such a you can have a guy go from from good to great. You can have a guy who's shaky, who's nervous, just get that little boost. You have the the guy to calm him down with when you know you have a catcher who will who will stop any any pass balls, anything that gets a little wild, who will frame that pitch to get you the extra strikeout and get you out of jam, who does all the little things. I was a catcher for many years, so so maybe I overstate the importance of that position. But I, I mean I, I think it's uh I think it's huge. And then like I said, of course David Hamilton from the defensive side, he was our defensive player of the year, led the nation last year with 73 double plays by himself. Texas has 91 this year. Um, you know, the opponents have 20-some-odd more uh, than we do. He You have to try to replace also not just his defense, but his 31 stolen bases last year. The whole team has 44 this year. Uh, six triples from him, they have eight this year. So, again, I'm not going to put that on Pierce. You can't stop injuries from happening you hope to have a little more depth but that comes with time that comes with a little program building that comes with you know not losing five guys to the draft you know on a team that you didn't even expect to be that good not you know losing two guys on a team that was supposed to be in a rebuilding who you were counting on so I mean I'm not putting that on Pierce and and this is a stat on on coach Pierce he has never missed the postseason as a head coach this will be his first year and that's tough We'll see how he bounces back. But at Tulane, at Sam Houston, and since he's been at UT, even when we didn't think he'd make it last year, he's found a way to make it. I don't think they're going to have a miracle this year. I don't think it's even possible. It would take about 50 things breaking just their way um, with Kansas State losing out the rest of the year and, and us sweeping OU and a couple other things. But I think Pierce has the skills. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think anyone who's calling for him, you know, his head to roll, just relax. Give it a minute. Texas has had like six head coaches in a hundred years and it's history. We don't have turnover in the baseball program. We hire guys to make the team uh, in their image for, you know, as long as they want to coach. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is not the time to call for a coach's head. It's year two. They overachieved last year. They got, he got the Clemens bump last year. Like it just happened. Yeah. Like that guy was a lightning rod. He totally sparked this team and got them, to overperform, and that that's what happened last year. And you can't catch lightning in a bottle two years in a row, especially when you lose so many guys to the majors like they did last year. I don't think you're going to see too many guys losing to the majors and leaving uh, this season, and, and I think Texas will in the future, but that's neither here nor there. 
So Texas's next game Tuesday at 6:30 against the uh, Texas State Bobcats. You can get in for three bucks, which is not not a bad deal. I mean, even if it's you know bad baseball game, you can definitely take a little afternoon, walk in with a ten, and get a popcorn and a beer and walk out with change. Like it's not a bad situation, right? Uh, then they're going to take a week off, take on Incarnate Word before closing out the regular season and probably their season overall with a three-game homestand against Oklahoma. So we took a week off from our positional previews that we told you we'd do weekly because we had a really good conversation with Thor Nystrom last week. If you want to hear about his thoughts on the Texas Longhorns where they ended up from the NFL draft, you can check out last week's show. Thor, great. He also had a one, probably one of our all-time best rants on this show. There have been some good ones, uh, but Thor <laughs> brought some heat about old Leslie Miles. So if you're into uh, what a football-educated KU fan has to say about Les Miles. Check that out. Uh, you can find that again on the Burn Orange Edition podcast feed. But we're jumping back in to our positional previews following spring, and we're going to go from quarterback to offensive line. That seems like the logical move. So the offensive line is is an interesting case. The right side of the offensive line, pretty, pretty staffed, we could say. Pretty set in stone. So we're not going to spend much time talking about, or really any time, talking about that side. The left side of the, the offensive line, at least, from my perspective, is where the biggest questions start. You're replacing Patrick Vahe, four-year starter. You're replacing Calvin Anderson, a instant contributor grad transfer who's now playing for uh, the New England Patriots, if I recall correctly, right? Is that, that where he landed? Yeah, he's, he's on the team. He hasn't necessarily made it yet, but he's in the rookie camp, so... Hey. Fingers crossed for, for, for Big Cal. He has played in more rookie camps than you and I combined, so he's got that going <laughs> for him. Uh, so the left side of the offensive line, again, is, is the, where the question marks, at least for me, arise. That's why we're not going to talk about the right side too much. Sam Cosme looks to be the guy who's moving from right tackle to left tackle to hold it down, and that is an interesting transition. Uh, it's it's a change in responsibility, a change in yeah, everything basically mirrors and flips, so Starting with Cosme, like, do you have any doubts that he can make that successful transition? Yeah, I mean, he came out of nowhere, burst on the radars, and he's the type of guy who people say, you know, if, if he makes this, this switch successfully to left tackle and can hold it down, that he could be a, you know, be a lottery pick type of talent. I think you see a lot more, um, a lot less Calvin Anderson in him and a lot more the guy who he came in to replace, uh, Connor Williams. You know, you, you see the, the ability to, um, you know, just take over a game at that tackle position. Calvin Anderson was very, very good. And, and I'm so thankful for his one year in burn orange. I think he was consistent. This will be Sam Ellinger's third left tackle in three years. And that could, that could spell misery. Uh, if it weren't for the fact that there's been three pretty solid ones, obviously Connor Williams was injured, but you know, who, who played that position. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, out of the bunch, you know, Cosme has the chance to develop a little bit there to, um, probably play the most games out of, cause you had two, uh, one season kind of guys there, um, play the most games at that position. Um, and really, um, you know, make a name for himself and kind of take the worry out of, out of Sam's blind spot. I mean, that's, that's, um, the type of talent that he has and, um, from everything I'm hearing, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, you said we have to worry about the left side. I think from the left tackle position, um, you know, Cosme is probably as sure a thing as we have, uh, and either of our guard tackle spots. And worry is not the right verbiage. And, and somebody's going to tweet at me about that. Worry is not the right verbiage. <laughs> it's just the one that 
I think if there are questions anywhere along the offensive line, it's can Cosme move from right to left and right. can Parker Braun play at this level. So I think, right. again, not saying that I think – I. Sam Cosme is is a dancing bear is the best way I can describe it. I hate that term when you talk about <laughs> offensive linemen, but like he's got the big body, but the dude can move like you yeah. saw him being able to execute on a lot of poles and a lot of the trap blocking uh, that they've been executing on specifically kind of late in last season. And then you saw some of it. They didn't get too, too complicated in the spring game because obviously you don't want to give too much film. Uh, but there right. were some spots. Now he did get caught up with some junk as uh, the center kind of got pushed back a little bit. But I think that probably has more to say about how good Keandre Coburn played uh, mm-hmm. as a reflection of, again, when your center gets blown back on a, on a pole that just happens, right? That's not, that's not your fault, but the dude can move played great. One of the, one of, I mean, he was an all American, like fresh. He was a freshman, all American. Like there's no other way to say like Sam Cosme yeah. was one of the most consistent players on the team outside of probably Sam Ellinger. Like mm-hmm. week in week out, you knew Cosme was going to put in a solid performance like that. Even you couldn't say that about little Jordan Humphrey. Cause there were weeks where Colin Johnson was the man. There were weeks where, Sam Ellinger wasn't on as much as he could have been because, again, he got played while he was injured, but that's neither here nor there. So Cosme had an incredible freshman year, and I have zero questions about him. His ability just – it's a tough switch to go from yeah. right to left because it's a completely different feel for the field. And I, and like I said, I think um, I, I think you, you said it that, that, you know, he played good every game. But, I mean, there was also some games where Sam Cosme was the guy. You know, you you looked at the highlight package or, you know, if, if you look at such things. Um, and he was the guy who stood out, just mauled people in a couple games. And I think we talked about him in protecting Sam and where he knows. And I'm sure all offseason that's what Herb Hand um, is going to be working and making sure he's ready for that. But that type of mauling, run blocking, uh, and we'll transition to Parker Braun in a moment, but that type of uh, tackle who will go after people and, and actually, you know, just go to crush people um, could create kind of what we had with, with Williams when he was healthy and Vahe where we could run behind that left side, um, you know, uh, pretty efficaciously. So I think, uh, uh, you know, I think it's exciting to, to see what he does on, on both fronts and, and what that could mean um, for either of our, you know, running backs who I think have probably home run potential. Um, so just getting them, getting them, you know, four yards before contact could spell trouble for the defense. Absolutely. And I think not just running behind that left side, but I think when you've got, I think you run a strong set left and then pull either him or the guy we're going to talk about in just a second, Parker Braun and run off the run off the, uh, off the field side rather than the, the strong side. That's that I think is an opportunity for, to get yep. uh, Keontae Ingram into a open field situation with a defensive back and just let him do what he does. So moving inside a guy that we don't have too many questions about, uh, no worries. I guess there's some questions that we want to answer. Uh, Parker Braun, a two-time all ACC guard for the yellow jackets played incredibly well, obviously all conference back-to-back years. Um, I think the, the questions that I have are the things that I want to discuss. One, he played lighter than any Texas offensive lineman a year ago. So he played in, he, he clocked in a 272 at Georgia Tech. And I think that's kind of a product of the offensive system he was in. He was required to run quite a bit. So he's going to have to put on some size and some mass. I mean, I think the lightest offensive lineman Texas had last year was in the two, the high 280s. So, but there are, he's got some workout pictures on Twitter that I haven't really looked at too hard. Um, but I think the other question is, 
not his abilities as a pass blocker, but the play after play abilities as a pass blocker at Georgia Tech um, in two seasons. He was called upon to pass block the same number of times Texas passed in the first 12 games of last season. So wow, that for me is, is the one question. So do you think a does that give you any cause for pause as you think about the the passing heavy league that Texas plays in currently? I mean, that's an incredible stat. I, I will say this. Um, in a triple option type, with in, in just watching him, watching him play, he is a guy who I don't think stamina has been an issue at all his career. So just because Texas is going to line up and run, you know, 60, 70 plays, you know, in succession, it's just boom, boom, boom. Um, I'm not particularly worried, although bulking up, you have to kind of look at it. But, um, you know, pass blocking where you're not going six, eight yards downfield, um, you know, beasting on folks, maybe – Maybe that's actually not a not not a huge problem. The the um, the thing that's interesting, their family, they're not quite the the Matthews family with the the Bruce and the Clay and the et cetera and the et cetera. But uh, the the Braun family, you know, puts beef out there. They are well coached from the time they're young. Dad Mike Braun uh, is is a coach and uh, you know has sons all over the the country and hopefully maybe even a couple wearing burnt orange, but uh, we'll get to that on another podcast, but sons all over the country playing college football, just, just beasting on dude. So, I mean, he's from good stock. And like I said, you have a track record of, of, of doing run blocking particularly well. We have um, a work ethic that, that is on tape that cannot be denied. You have kind of elite pedigree uh, in, in lifetime coaching. And then you add in, like we've said it many times, but Herb Hand uh, and Yancey McKnight too at the best literally in in their business and their profession at doing exactly what they need uh to do with this young man and and it makes me feel pretty good again when we when we play lsu for the first time and he's you know tasked with you know 43 passing plays with a you know 330 pound nose tackle from the swamps louisiana like you know, I'll, I'll be checking him. I'll be seeing how he's doing. But I really, truly don't think um, that it's going to be anything of a liability. I think, if anything, it's going to be at least what we got from Vahe last year, if not the potential to even maybe by the end of the season, especially when he's comfortable, be an upgrade at that position. So maybe I'm bullish, but I think that left side of our line with Cosme uh, and him by, by you know the time we're playing in the Big 12 championship, you heard that, uh, <laughs> may be an even more formidable left side of the line than we even had this year. The thing that excites me about him, I, I think he's replacing one of the more consistent run blockers on the team, and the fact that he will probably be the most consistent run blocker on that offensive front, simply by being a product of the fact that he came from a team that ran an 80-20 run-to-pass ratio, right? Yeah. And there are some great videos you can check out. on His, his dad kind of brags on him quite a bit. Um, yeah. I know parents don't have favorites, but if you look at the number <laughs> of tweets – um, Jake, their little brother's probably the favorite with Parker in a uh, distant second. Um, but there is something to be said about the fact that he is a guy that chooses violence when it's an option. Like when there's an option for him to just absolutely find a smaller guy and say, hey, you, I'm going to bully you. That's what he does. Any opportunity for him to block at the second level is incredible because, again, you get him in those positions where everybody's covered up. He's coming off the edge and kicking out a cornerback. That's going to be a spring for a guy like Keontae Ingram. So I'm excited to see that. And again, 
I do want to see how he moves with some added bulk because I think he's going to have to bulk up a little bit. Uh, I mean, yeah. obviously, Herb Hand likes him just a little bit beefier than he's at right now. So I do want to see if he still is as fleet of foot as he has been in the past with with that added mass. And again, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think, again, you mentioned Nancy McKnight. He's, I, I think you don't transfer from Georgia Tech as a grad transfer to Texas if you're not hoping to play at the next level and think you have the potential yeah. to do so. And so I think he's going to be able to deliver on that in in a probably pretty pretty consistent, pretty solid. Again, I'm ready for Texas to not have one-year rentals on the offensive yeah. line. I think I'm ready for that stage of the of the cycle to end. And I think it probably does end after this year. There's right. pretty, there's a lot of depth at the offensive line position. I think you move across the center. Shackelford is the guy you don't really have any questions about. Shaq is yep. going to be Shaq in the middle. You know what you're getting, yep. you know what you're getting. And that's going to be a guy who will start for <laughs> ever. As long as he's in burnt orange, he will be the starter in the middle. And nobody has any questions about that. Uh, Okafor is probably your guy on the right, right side of Shackelford. And again, Okafor, solid like I don't I really don't have much to say about Okafor uh, and Kerstetter probably to his right like I don't they're thin but they're 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 top heavy but they're really heavy at the top yeah and I, I mean I think you touched on depth and I think there is um, a lot of unproven depth but there is a lot of depth and so it'll be curious like we talked about before you know Herb Hand likes to have not five guys in the line, but basically seven and keep them cross-trained. So you've always got, you know, some of your best in there, no matter what type of, you know, situation the season throws at you. Um, and I think the Longhorns are, are well-suited, you know, for that and should should be okay. Um, I think Kerstetter has at times looked very, very good and could at that right tackle spot, um, you know, in, unless they, they switch them up. Because I think both of those guys have the ability to play inside or outside. But, I mean, I think he's... Um, not a question mark, but I'll be watching how he progresses. I think he has a chance to uh, to be a step-up kind of guy um, and do well. But, I mean, when you have a relatively sure thing in the in the middle and to left side, um, this will be kind of where Herb Hand finds. Who are the guys who are stepping up? Who are the guys who are eating? Who are the guys who this summer are putting in the work? Um, it's, you know, we're doing these positional previews with a caveat of this is the way too early preview. We think we know, and it very well could be exactly like we, we discussed it come – you know, week one and, and week 10, you know, that, that could be our offensive line. But I think we have some guys with some upside who, if they're, you know, kicking butt in practice, that Herb Hand's probably the type of guy who might just give you a chance. Um, and so we might see one of the, uh, you know, the stellar redshirt freshman from this last class. I know I won't steal him from you, but I know you love uh, Mr. Angelau. But uh, I, think, I think there's talent kind of all across it. I mean, I think even... What I like is you look at those guys who redshirted and that's your depth. You look at the guys who came in this year, and I'm hoping those are your red shirts. Like, let's keep that cycle, and then we don't, like you said, have to do the one-year rentals. We're just farming out, you know, solid, solid recruits, and we're losing guys when they decide they want to go play in the NFL. And I'm perfectly great with that. And I think, again, Herb Hand, if not the best, one of the elite, very, very top of his profession, has the all the chops to uh, – to turn this into just a factory factory line. Yeah. And I think we'll, I'll talk about this in the bang, the drum section, but I, I think the depth that Texas will have moving forward, that 2020 class is looking to be a problem And 2019 was no slouch. They only got three guys, but it was a good three guys in the, tw- yeah. in the 2019 class. But you mentioned junior Angelau. I think he's a guy that as soon as he sees the field is never going to leave. 
Like he's just got that kind of thing going where I, I put it, I did an article about the offensive line. That's probably honestly why I picked to do it this week. Cause I felt prepared to do so. But I said <laughs> in the article, like if a lean six, six, 300 exists, that's junior angle and not in like a bad way, but he's just like, he's a well put together lineman. And I think he will be a consistent starter at that guard. I think he'll probably end up, sliding in where his cousin played at left guard uh, once Parker Braun graduates. And we'll just probably hold that down for three years or until he decides to take his talents elsewhere. And yeah, yeah. I think Imade, the guy who he kind of competed jockeying for a position in, in spring in the spring game is going to be the other guy. When you look at the seven man rotation, I think the five starters are pretty solid. Anglau and Imade will be probably your two big rotational pieces, uh, but mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you can't, Graffiti Grimai is a guy that they're trying to get some some experience at center. Yep, he was a massive pickup for for that recruiting class a year ago, and there are people that are a bit down on him. He's only been a center for like six months, and right. as somebody who played center, like it's not easy to do, and I played it poorly. Like <laughs> it's it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, Tyler Johnson's another guy. He could be he's he's an incoming freshman, but he's a guy that already kind of looks the part. Christian Jones is the guy that has a ton of upside. We haven't talked about Reese Moore at all. We haven't talked about JP or Kitas. Like there mm-hmm. are, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. It's just not, not tested at all. And so my hope, my prayer is that especially against like Louisiana and rice, Texas is up three or four scores and you can get these guys a quarter and a half or a quarter of, of in game time. Yeah, you know, I, these these are the good problems, right? Like, if there's a fresh, we we've said this again, and, and I I hate to repeat, but it's really not a repeat. It's a it's a mantra. It's a uh, affirmation we're speaking to existence. You know, we play freshmen because they are so good that they can't not play, not because it's necessity and they have to play. So as soon as we are a hundred percent there, and that's where you know Texas football is living, that's when you know. Hey, we're back, baby. We can breathe easy. This is this is how it should be and, and should be for for years to come. So, I mean, I I think this is a position that just like the defensive side, the line there's a lot of proving to do because you're replacing names. You're playing guys who you knew what they were, and anytime you change that out and you say, now look what these guys are, um, there's a risk. But I think we're well suited to put talent um, and and you know pick up right where we left off with the improvements of last year. So, really, what it is is you. You want the coaches to say, man, we have to play that guy, not we have to play that guy. Like there's the incredible. Difference. Yeah, it's, it's a huge distinction for sure. You're absolutely right. As I learned in marriage counseling, tone is everything. So we've got some other football news. Uh, the South End Zone construction kicked off this week. I guess kicked off as a bad pun or whatever. Uh, they broke ground. I'm a I'm a. I take issue with the symbolic breaking of ground because they had some dirt in a bucket. Like granted, there's not much dirt for them to break ground on, but that's either here nor there. Um, So you had some representatives, university representatives, presumptive team captains for the 2019 season there as well. Tom Herman taking a second chance to put on a hard hat and hopefully not end up as an internet joke. Um, It's exciting though. The direction of this program, uh, Chris Del Conte is promoting this team and putting Texas back in the upper echelon where it should be. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is the uh, the part of the podcast where we we wax poetically about Chris Del Conte. This is the direction. This is where it should be. Herman showed up, said, "Hey, the facilities need to be better." Redid the locker room. Again, not the greatest look for him personally with the sledgehammer uh, gif, gif, however you say it. I go with gif. Are you a gif or gif guy, by the way? I am a gif guy, except if I'm Me trying too. to annoy my wife. Okay, good. All right. Um, GIF is peanut butter. But, hey, find me in my mentions if you have thoughts. Um, the GIF of him with a sledgehammer. The, the main thing that I want to take out of this, yes, it's great. The program going in the right direction. Crystal Conte looks sharp in a suit as always. It's great. Whatever. The main thing I want to talk about is the two-a-days that Tom Herman's been doing with Yancey McKnight. I mean, I guess since the players couldn't work out, McKnight had some time to focus solely on Herman. He looked like an outside linebacker flexing that... Uh, that shovel there boys look at good looking yoked i mean he may have been flexing the entire time again knowing his internet history but uh i was proud of him that that is a that's 12 regular season win pectorals if i've ever seen them <laughs> like, like that's a coach who is who's got you know you always i always talk about how you know when you what you see your kid do something and your chest chest puffs out. I think that's what Herman's got going on. He's got a little got a little bit of swagger back, and I think that's that's okay. I I'm not going to to take any shots at Sam Ellinger for looking like that was maybe the second time he'd ever held a shovel in his entire life. <laughs> um, but I I I like that he is very clearly the face of this program for the next two years, and that feels like the right thing. He is the guy that I want representing the university. You know, he's a blue collar guy. He's a lunch pail kind of guy. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, he's gritty out there. He's, he's, you know, first guy to get there, last guy to leave. But uh, typically he picks up the football and not the shovel. And that was very evident. That's fine. And that's fine. You know what? Keep, keep those, keep those hands nice, soft and supple. So you can hold on to <laughs> that pigskin. Like I, whatever you're pay somebody to do it. If you, if you, if you've got the, if you've got the juice, you don't have to do it, and he's got the juice right now, and I'm completely okay with that. Yeah, we we might be digging ourselves. That pun was intended into a hole here. Let's uh, let's keep it moving. Let's let's excavate this uh, this <laughs> podcast segment. So we we joked about it off the top of the show, but Derek Johnson and Jamal Charles both this past week signed one day contracts to retire from the Kansas City Chiefs, the team that they played the vast majority of their NFL careers with um, Derek Johnson, I believe is one of the all time leading tacklers in franchise history. Jamal Charles has the, I think three of the top five uh, rushing seasons in team history, which is just absolutely incredible um, on a team that has had some incredible running backs in the past. Um, So it's, a really weird time in my life where I see players that I yeah. watched when they were in college retiring from the NFL. It's a really, really weird thing because I was on campus when Jamal Charles was on campus. Uh, he joins Brian Arakpo and Brian Robeson, guys who I was on campus with as well. I wasn't on a campus with Derek Johnson. But these guys have had really illustrious careers, and, and it's good to see them going out on, I guess, what would be their own terms. Yeah, I mean, three out of those four guys you mentioned had at least four Pro Bowls. You know, uh, Robeson had kind of a career where he um, got 60 sacks, didn't didn't make a Pro Bowl because he kind of just was consistent every year um, and, and very good, but, you know, never had the Arakpo flashes where he had 
12 sacks in a season or anything, but a lot of Pro Bowls between those. I mean, there's three guys in the Chiefs Hall of Fame ring of honor when you go to the stadium today. There could be five next season. I mean, both of those guys who retired could join Len Doss and Willie Lanier, Lanier and, and the big dog Derek Thomas in the Chiefs Hall of Fame. I mean, you have the leading tackler and the best running back in, in you know team history, so they could very well be there. You know, they, they, they're guys who made indelible marks. You know, what started uh, at the 40 acres changed, you know, the those teams' world. And so um, just, you know, two guys who I loved from a fantasy, fantasy perspective, loved having Jamal Charles, especially in those prime years. It was good. Uh, will retire as the all-time leader in yards per carry for eligible running backs. Just a, an elite, true um, difference maker. I think if he doesn't get hurt and, and you don't have – you know, kind of the precipitous drop off from a top ten player in the NFL, um, right at his prime, the kind of string of injuries, then then you have a you have a Pro Bowl, um, you know, contender. I I personally don't think that either of these guys will will make that, but both of them were the best probably in NFL. I'm not going to say history necessarily could be though, at a specific trait. Jamal Charles was just getting yards every time he touched the ball um, with those. Uh, you know, long runs and bumping his his yards per carry, and, and Derek Johnson at, at knocking the football out of dude's hands. I mean, truly, legitimately, they might each be. It's a specific trait, but hey, I mean, Hawkeye's getting a uh, getting a mini series out of it, out of be able to shoot arrows. So, I mean, if you're good at one thing, you can take it all the way to the end game. So, Derek Johnson strips footballs. Jamal Charles runs real far and real fast, and uh, probably the two best to ever do those specific things on a football field. You mentioned that Brian Robeson didn't make too many Pro Bowls. It's the fact that he played on the opposite side of the field from Jared Allen, who made they they played six seasons together. uh, Really, in the prime prime of Robeson's career. But no, um, I have I don't know if I've ever told the story on the podcast. I mentioned it. I kind of mentioned it on Twitter. But Derek Johnson's the reason why I ended up at the University of Texas. Like as a as a, a young teenager. I was watching the OU game where he tackled the quarterback from behind and punched the ball out in a, in his signature fashion, but the ball like shot out like a cannon and went 15 yards in Texas, recovered it. I remember my parents thought I hurt myself because I screamed so loud when it happened. Like it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, like I really, this is the thing I can have pride in. Like this is the thing I can get excited about. And so that's when my journey to burn orange kind of started. And I was again on campus for the, for the, Vince Young, Jamal Charles show against OU where JC broke an 80 yard run and decided I'm going to break three tackles in in five (laughs) yards and then just be faster than everybody else on the field. So like being able to experience those guys live and in person is, is a cool thing. And I'm glad that they got to end their careers on on kind of a symbolic high note. Yeah. And together, which is cool. So uh, good time for Longhorns, good time for nostalgia and remembering some of those legends. And it's also a good time to remind you that Kyle and I are very old, but we're going to take you now to the sports that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should, but they're still doing incredible, incredible work. And we are going to down the 40. So number two men's tennis swept Tennessee tech and beat South Florida to advance to the round of 16 for their sixth, consecutive season. So they're going to host Cal for the second straight year uh, in the NCAA uh, championship at 1 p.m. on Saturday. So that is coming up. Be excited about that. Texas making a run at a national championship. 
Number nine, women's tennis, unfortunately, is out of the NCAA tournament, fell to a team from somewhere uh, that was ranked below them. Doesn't matter who. They lost to A&M, unfortunately. I, we, we have to say it. All the bias aside, A&M beat them. There's no two ways around that. We are journalists. Unfortunately, we have to say it. Um, but let's not forget to give it a caveat. We didn't cover it on this program, but just throw it out there now to, to cover that up. Texas did beat A&M in the uh, the spring season volleyball finale. So I guess we're even. We'll call it. We'll call it even. Uh, number four, rowing continues to have a solid season. Uh, they swept number six, Ohio State, on their home waters. So Home water. I don't know what else to say about that. I love uh, num- it. Yeah. <laughs> number two, women's golf opened the Nor- Norman Regional and finished the first round tied for third. They were three strokes behind number 10 Florida and two behind North Carolina state. So definitely still within striking distance, the top six from each of the regionals qualify for the NCAA championship tournament. So they're in good position to make it to the next round. So they will, uh, they'll probably see their season continue uh, in the next few weeks. Number six men's golf is going to host the Austin regional at the UT golf club, May 13th through the 15th in the NCAA tournament. A lot of NCAA tournament action happening uh, in the country club sports. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's a good place to be. It's uh, We talked about tennis being kind of the best of the bunch at number two, but that's your number two, number nine, number two, and number six out of those four teams. So that's that's good stuff. That's uh, That's good Texas right there. A lot of small numbers there, Kyle. A lot, a lot of small numbers. Single digits. Always nice to see. So in the lowest possible double digit, uh, number 10 softball had a bit of a week. So Kyle, is it, is it time? Is it time for your weekly softball breakdown? This, uh, this is time. I'll clear out a little space here for the, uh, the final regular season installment of year one white Mike recap. Before, um, before you dive in, I do want to applaud your commitment to the shtick Kyle like symbolically pops his neck every week when he does this and none of you see it because it's a podcast <laughs> it's a it's a fantastic visual medium it's it's like a good joke you should you should need to explain it for people to get it that's that's how I feel very strongly um, see the joke is there a good joke you don't have to explain um, so <laughs> softball number 10 again number six in the RPI yet again this week uh, one of the best teams and they're heading into the the Big 12 tournament, uh, on a strong note, they finished out the season. Uh, they did have one game canceled and then finished <clears throat> in Big 12 play against Baylor, sweeping the Lady Bears. So they uh, they came out and did what needed to be done. Um, this season, they won 1-0 to zero and 3-1. to one, But this season, they passed the 40 kind of win mark, which is the, this is the plateau for a real contender. If you're going to win a championship, that's about where you should be anywhere from 40 to 48 means like you're one of the best teams in the country. I think their biggest challenge, um, there's only one team in the, in the country who has more wins over RPI top 10 and that's Oklahoma. And I mean, you saw how good Oklahoma was, but you saw how inches away from them Texas was. So, I mean, you might by the end of the year have a, a national championship type rematch between uh, two of the best coaches. And, and again, that that's a huge testament um, to where this team was last year and where they stepped up to coach Coach White coming in and, and, and just kind of getting these people on. But, I mean, you also bring in a freshman like Caitlin O'Leary who finished. She she got in the Baylor game actually in a little relief role, I guess, just making sure she got that uh, under 0.5 ERA, got it down to point. Four eight, which will finish the season as the absolute best in the NCAA. Again, she's 
a freshman, um, and and they basically are riding on a high at just the right time uh, into the Big Twelve tournament uh, this weekend. They will take on Oklahoma uh, State to start it, and then it's kind of pool play. And then Iowa State uh, will be the the next team. Gerald, I love everything about this softball team. What I don't love is this Big Twelve softball. So what's what's going on in your native state? What are they What are they doing? I first of all, native state. That's hurtful. That was cold. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm that sorry. was that was native city. I, I meant to say city where you live now. Kyle, this is harkens back to the times where you and I almost fist fought over games of NCAA football on the PlayStation <laughs> Two because we're old. Um, <laughs> that was, so I don't I don't understand what this pool play is because it basically does the same thing as if you do a regular tournament bracket and just give the number one seed a buy, where like they play pool play on. I guess what is that Thursday and then or mm. whatever whatever the first day of the tournament is on day one yeah. day one of the tournament you play pool play and then the top two teams of the pool play play in a championship game after three other consolation or two other consolation games on day two so sure. I guess they're trying to manufacture a way for them to get to play more softball is the only reasoning I can think of that this makes sense is if because now every team basically you get to play two games on the first day and then another game on the second day so like they're trying to get three games for everybody is the only thing i can think of the big 12 plays good softball i get it extra softball texas sold out their uh their last five games home games of the season so people clearly want to watch uh these women play and they're very good at it so i I guess just extra softball but yeah it seems seems a bit ridiculous but anyways texas uh Coming into the number three seed, oddly, I think they will wipe the floor with Oklahoma State in, in, in their nearly hometown of Oklahoma City and most likely, like I said, take on OU in the Big 12 championship as they are two of the best teams uh, in the country and both playing very, very, very well right now. So keep an eye out for that this weekend. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of on a uh, collision course for that, which is fine. Um, basketball, Eli Mitru Long, a guy who – Played, um, not sparingly is probably not the right word, but had some ups and downs in his minutes this year. Uh, is opting a graduate transfer. Totally get that. Totally reasonable. Looking to move on mm. to his third school in as many years. Um, and I think it makes sense for him to make this decision. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's, it's a tough depth chart at the guard position. I think when he came here, it was before Courtney Ramey. Um, Texas was able to kind of get him, and I'll say steal is a strong word, but, I mean, it, it didn't look like Texas was going to get him. That's one of the, you know, the big, probably biggest things Shaka has done uh, at UT. So, basically, he came in and, and lost those minutes he thought he was getting as he'd already committed to Texas. So, I get it. Um, they clearly were the starting backcourt this year with Ramey and Coleman. And then you have Febres, who's just come alive, um, and, and clearly kind of solidified that that other spot. So uh, the backcourt's a little bit crowded. There's not a ton of depth, um, but it's crowded with some young guys. I mean, Long would have been the only senior uh, on this team. He will be grad transferring wherever he goes, um, but only a player with one year of eligibility, I should say. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a bit crowded. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting is I don't know if this uh, means that he knows something that we don't, that, uh, that you have – a healthy Andrew Jones potentially. That is my my true prayer that um, you know he's those he's clearing out some space there so we can get some more of one of our all time favorites. Yeah, I, I it's it was sad to see him go, but 
I get it. Like if you have an opportunity, he's probably got one more year to play basketball. So you really need to take that opportunity. Um, so the women's basketball uh, team is in the three on three semifinals, which sounds like a weird thing to talk about until you, uh, you look at where three on three basketball is heading. Oh yeah. You know, I'm so excited. This is, you know, this is the same guy who, who waxed on for at least five minutes about our Quidditch team. I'm so excited about sports that are like air quote sports. Um, three on three basketball is awesome. Um, that league and I'm blanking on it, but the, the, uh, retirement league that they, they play in the off NBA off season is awesome. Um, I watched Cube. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I'm blanking, but I don't even need to know it. You all know it. You know what I'm talking about. But it's it's like stinking awesome. You get to see these greats who are way past their prime and realize that like sitting down one-handed, they're 25 times better than we will ever be at our absolute peak. But um, it's awesome because 3-3 three and three is actually going to be an Olympic sport. So this has huge implications because this was the US uh, USA Women's Basketball Tournament. They put it on basically scouting. Like, who wins this has a good chance of um, being, like, the the representative for the Olympics. And no no big feat, but Texas's first game was against UConn. Uh, they beat them 13-12 to 12 in overtime. Second UConn. Love that. Uh, we'll count that as a national championship. Aggies. Um, Texas then beat NC State um, and someone called Still Ballin, which I don't think is a college. Um, and then in round of 16, they uh, they beat the Western Athletic Conference All-Stars. Um, so a whole conference, 21-8, to eight before, you know, the quarterfinals matching up again against NC State, who got the better of them. But, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic showing for the University of Texas. Uh, Joyner Holmes uh, and Shug Sutton Yep, you heard it. Sug Sutton. Wow, that's I'm not good at uh, saying words. How now, brown cow? Uh, Audrey Warren and Charlie uh, Collier were the the four to play three for the team, um, and it's just a good look. It's a good look. Texas uh, being one of the best women's basketball teams out there, and hopefully uh, gives a little little fun, little momentum in the off season, and maybe you know who knows, maybe maybe one of them can uh, can make the push and, and represent us in the cool three on three basketball. What starts here takes on the world. But now is a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I'm banging the drum, and let me first just caveat. I'm a man who respects rules, and the rules of the podcast say I get to bang one drum. That's why I just said the basketball piece as a piece of news. If you're looking at the show breakdown, you heard us cover that in Downing the 40 because there was a bang the drum that was just too good to pass up. It was too on the nose. I'm a man who loves sports, but especially loves outside the lines. I like the things that happen before and after the games, the things that sports kind of brings to us that we might miss as part of the human condition and human experience and and i definitely got a little misty-eyed could i because i'm that guy um but it was as i said softball senior day um and so they honored uh becca alcozer brooke bollinger and uh kiadra hater that's kk for those who know her um as uh seniors who were completing their longhorn softball career now hater's brother who is an Army uh, sergeant, uh, Lakendron Hater, stationed in Okinawa. She hasn't seen him in three years. And they did the gambit where he gave a video message, you know, just want to say there's no place I'd rather be. Congratulations on a career. You know, good luck in your last game. Oh, and one other thing. And then he walks out of the the tunnel. And she literally collapses and crumbles in, like, pure joy and 
she jumps up to hug him and just the the face the look on her face as the camera pans on her like <clears throat> I got a little choked up. I mean, usually it's soldiers coming home to their dogs that gets me. Um, that wrecks me every time. But uh, Big Brothers with their little sisters uh, is is pretty darn hard to top. So uh, cheesy, corny, or whatever you might think me, um, that was as good a, good as it got for me this week. I love that. Yeah, um, I refuse to watch those videos because I weep like a like a child every time. I, 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 I saw the picture and then saw that the next tweet was the video and I closed my phone. Um, it's like, I just, I, I, I do not have the emotional capacity to not weep like a child when that happens. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I like, I love getting to see people surprised by that. It's so much fun. You know, my dad was in the military for you know 22 years. So I, I thankfully was never had to be away from him for that long. But, but even after some months we had, uh, those types of reunions and it was, it was incredible. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week. It's kind of a weird thing. It's, it's, it, it could be a news item. So Texas had a big weekend of official visits, uh, this past weekend. So had a lot of committed players on, uh, on campus, specifically on the offensive line. So you saw, uh, you know, Jalen Garth was there. You saw that, uh, you saw that Jake Majors was there, Logan Parr was there, uh, Hudson Card was there. So, like, kind of the four key pieces of the four four stars of the uh, of the recruiting class. Hullaby was not able to make it the fifth piece of that recruiting class, but there's a there's a there's a trend that's happening in the Texas recruiting realm, and that's getting the moms on board. And I'm a big fan, so. There's an incredible picture that's floating out on Twitter of Herb Hand and the offensive line mamas just mean mugging and then Hudson Card's mom in the back uh, just flexing. And as someone who um, still to this day fears his mother, um, it's just it's it's awesome to see that these parents are so involved in the sacrifices and really the commitment to families that Texas is making. Because I think that is a key differentiator there, like the getting getting parents bought into not just what the university has to offer but who the university is and what the family environment is going to be is is paramount as Texas tries to continue to build it and i think um, you saw guys buying into the university at a completely different level a year ago. And I think it is this family focus that they've had. And so I think this is a step in the right direction and continuing to show the direction. The next step is for the only uncommitted member of that mama group, Chad Lindbergh, go and bite the bullet, big man. Come on down. You, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You're, you're absolutely right. It's funny. It makes me think. My, my dad once told me, he's, he's probably the best advice he ever gave me. He said, now, son, you're going to get married one day or, you know, you're going to find someone who you want to marry. I'm getting married in just under 50 days. But he said, if you if you win, if you win over the mom, you will never lose a day in your life. And uh, my, my mother-in-law has multiple, or excuse me, my, my dad's uh, mother-in-law has multiple times uh, said that he actually literally walks on water. So he was he was uh, practicing what he, he preached. But it just reminded me that Herb Hand is exactly like you and I, Gerald, except being utterly world-class at his profession. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all right. But, you know, uh, we, we're not quite Herb Hand at the podcast yet. But, uh, but yeah, it's I love these guys, man. Like, it's so fun to have, like, coaches and players and teams. Just, like, not just because they're Longhorns. Like, I love these guys objectively because they're awesome. 
like Herb Hand is kind of my spirit animal. Like he he takes goofy photos with players' moms and he waxes poetic about barbecue on Twitter. Like what more do you need from a human being than that? Like I I got nothing. Like I really um I'm I'm super committed. I'm committed to Herb Hand and hopefully uh other players feel the same way. But that's all we got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me uh, at Twitter. I'm at Herb Hand. Uh, I'm kidding. That's not me. It's it's at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you want to get your tweets read on the show, go ahead and use that hashtag replies of Texas. You can also check me out on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. Last week we talked about Avengers Endgame and the Battle of Winterfell. This week, uh, we're planning on taking a week off, but then they dropped the Spider-Man trailer, and we had an exceptionally frustrating episode of Game of Thrones, so we'll probably break our bi-weekly schedule and come back with that. So check us out, Two Woke Nerds. It'll be out on Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. I like this week's episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs>